Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 5th, 2023, including both Starfield and Redfall could be coming sooner than previously expected, Bethesda Softworks successfully forms a union, 2023 looks to be a jam-packed year for gaming, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, Bayonetta released for the Xbox 360 in the US. The original Bayonetta, which is I think the only Bayonetta to ever come to Xbox because after that, Nintendo started help funding it in a weird second party relationship with Sega or I guess I guess Sega still owns the IP but Nintendo publishes it now. I don't remember exactly how that works, but Bayonetta's 2 and 3 are Nintendo exclusives. Uh, but the first Bayonetta is still available on Xbox this this day, and I think two years ago it was two three years ago, they re they kind of slightly remastered it and put it on Xbox One, so you can also play it that way too. Never played Bayonetta, but I I, I trust what everyone says about it. That is, it is one of the all time best third person action games. So um, very stylish, very fun, and frenetic. I believe it, guys. Welcome to Xbox On episode one hundred eighty eight, guys. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first Xbox On of year 2023, year 2023. I'm not going to get all philosophical about how it's not the two, 2023rd year in existence, but we call it 200 calendars. Anyway, guys, welcome to the show. And I want to say, uh, before we begin this year's uh, load of bullshit, the next 52 episodes of uh, pain-inducing Xbox, Bethesda, Activision lawsuits, all that kind of yammering we have to get to. I, I want to first say thank you for all the support in 2022. Uh, I appreciate it. The show did really well last year. It consistently, uh, you know, not it, it didn't blow up or shoot up or anything, but it, it slowly, steadily kind of gained a little bit more of an audience. And um, we had a lot of retention. People continued to support the show. And like I always say, you know, I, I appreciate anyone who's ever checked out the show in any capacity, whether it was one episode, one minute, or you've been here since episode one. But well, I, I want to give an extra special shout out to the people who leave comments because to me, uh, a big part of what makes this show special is the community engagement. And I think without the comments, without your guys' voice being injected into the show, I think this show would be, uh, quite honestly, not worth doing. So just want to give a special shout-out to all the all of those of you out there who have ever left a comment or support the show in that way because, uh, you know, it makes the show a lot more interesting. And if you haven't left a comment, hey, it's never too late to join. Go on over to YouTube.com, drop a comment, and we'll talk about our bullshit at the end of every episode as we do. Now, another thing I want to say is last week we did our annual favorite games of the year uh, podcast, and I, I say that intentionally, not game of the year, but favorite games of the year because we do it a little different. It's not best game of 2022. It's uh, it's favorite games played in 2022. And last week I was joined by my friend Hunter, 
who did an awesome job, I thought. We had a really fun podcast, got off topic a lot, as is always the case on this show, but I thought our conversations were really fun, and uh, I had a great time doing it. Hope Hunter had a good time being on the show, but thank you to all of you guys for the positive feedback. We got a lot of nice comments about last week's episode, so I appreciate that. And also, as a side note, yes, I am aware, last week's episode, it did the whole Xbox on, beep, 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 and then uh, it just it just cut out for a second. The audio was gone. Um, I accidentally muted the intro music track, the halo music that I always play at the start of the show accidentally muted it. So it was there, but it just didn't, you just couldn't hear it. So it was like 30 seconds of dead air, uh, between Xbox on and like starting the podcast. So I apologize for that. Uh, I hope we didn't lose too many listeners with that error, but, uh, it was kind of one of those things. It was too late. The show, you know, I, I uploaded everything the night before and it goes live while I'm at work the next day. So there's nothing I could have done by the time I could have gotten home and fixed it or re-uploaded it. You know, a, a large chunk of people had already listened to it, whatever. It was in God's hands. It's what he, I guess, intended to do for our final episode of the year. So we, we just accept it and move on. Right. All right. And one more bit of housekeeping before we get into this first week. About two weeks ago, I put up a new video on my other YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the same name as my Twitch uh, username, Lightning Extreme. Uh, it's a stupid little YouTube poop about Sonic at the Game Awards. Uh, not very funny, actually. I don't even think it's one of my best uh, <laughs> outings, but I had a lot of fun making it. I do think it is entertaining and worth watching. Uh, if you like YouTube poops, if you like really stupid, nonsensical YouTube videos like that, um, it'd mean a lot if you check it out. There's a, a link for it in the description of the podcast or in YouTube, whatever, you, however you want to look it up. But uh, yeah, go support my other channel if you, if you will. I appreciate it. But with that out of the way, guys, let's jump into our first episode of 2023. Now, Obviously, the news isn't fully back. We're still just coming fresh off the holidays, so it's not a big news week, but we do have a decent amount of things to catch up on, and on top of that, I have a little a little thing at the end of the news where I want to go over a rough roadmap of the games that are supposed to come out this year, so we can just kind of paint a picture of what Xbox will look like in 2023, so we'll cover the news it's a little bit of a shorter news week, and then we'll go over that. I think it should make for a pretty interesting episode, a nice little way to ease ourselves into good old 2023. Here's you know knocking on wood that this uh, this year is a good one. Honestly, it's been it's been getting you know it's been getting steadily better since uh, 2020. So I feel like we'll see. All right, let's start out the podcast this week with our stories of mild amusements, updates, corrections, things of that nature. No corrections for you this week because uh, last week was all opinion based. So what, what am I going to correct my opinions? Fuck you. No, rather than we have a couple stories of mild amusement to get through, three to be in fact. So from the top, our first story of the year, shocker, comes from VGC, Video Games Chronicle, and it is that Konami have said that they're planning to reveal even more games in 2023, building on the recently disclosed plans to revive classic franchises. We know that they're already working on uh, Silent Hill Remake, which... uh, Bluebird team is is hard at work on a Silent Hill 2 remake, uh, but they the story says as part of the New Year's greeting, it's published by Famitsu. The company mentioned new games for well-known series, likely referencing a roster of other Castlevania collect, uh, type games, Silent Hill type games. However, it said that they are also going to announce or make new announcements regarding other projects that are deeply and quietly underway behind the scenes. VGC first reported back in 2021 that Konami was looking to revive many of its major franchises, including Silent Hill, which eventually got announced, as well as even long-rumored titles like Metal Gear, the Metal Gear franchise, Metal Gear Solid, baby. Sources claim that one title in development at Sing- in a Singapore-based studio, Virtuous, 
uh, is a new Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater remake. A recruitment video was posted by the company, later appeared to hint at the project, although no confirmation has been made as of yet. So I don't think this one comes as a big surprise, which is why I put it at the top of the show, because, because Konami has been slowly kind of coming back into the games industry after, man, what seems like about at least half a decade of just complete absence after Metal Gear Solid Five came out and the massive public fallout and write off of Konami's existence with everything that happened between them and Hideo Kojima. But they definitely seem to be coming back slowly. Uh, we got this this Castlevania Dead Cells crossover that was announced at the Game Awards. We know that Blueberry Team is working on Silent Hill 2 Remake, as well as there are some other Silent Hill projects in the works. So I think the no-brainer big one that's like bound to just, you know, it, it's just a matter of time, really, I think is uh, Metal Gear Solid. So the Snake Eater of Metal Gear Solid 3, I know that's been the rumor for a while. I think it's a little disappointing if it's not, you know, the first Metal Gear Solid. I'm kind of surprised. I I actually believed for a long time the rumors that what's more likely to happen is Sony will get second-party rights to do a Metal Gear Solid, you know, hire some team to do a Metal Gear Solid 1 remake exclusive for PS5. I was a real believer that that rumor was probably more likely to be true, but it looks like we're leaning more in the direction of this MGS3 remake, which is uh, also good. I've, I've never played that game, so to be completely honest, I I can't speak to it, um, how good it is. I've only played the first two Metal Gear games, only ever really beat the first one, but man, I would just love for there to be some like really faithful, like true Contra sequel, not just like some uh, cheap cash grab like they've been known to do a lot. I think that would be so cool if we could get something like that. Uh, that's really my favorite Konami franchise, so I'd just love to see that done right. Or to see a, 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 a reimagining of what the Contra IP can be and try to make a 3D Contra game that could be like a military shooter or a third-person action game or something. I just feel like that is a franchise that has a lot of potential that is just never really going to get explored but nonetheless let's continue to keep an eye out on konami as they are making their way back into the games industry after a long time of absence maybe they're getting away from all those health and fitness clubs and bottled water brands and shit that they they run and own in japan and getting back into making video games so it should be exciting to see what they have up their sleeves i think the games industry has become increasingly west coast u.s and vaguely european dominant in recent years Uh, in the past decade or so, and it seems like Japan has just been kind of sidelined a bit, but recently we've been seeing the resurgence of Capcom and to some extent Square Enix, and it looks like Konami's coming back, so I'm excited to see Japan become more of a relevant and prominent player again in this space. And Speaking of Japanese game development, our second story about amusement this week, also from VGC, is that Atlas, the Sega-owned developer behind the Shin Megami and Persona series has said that they are they have several unannounced titles planned to reveal this year in 2023. The message was shared in a New Year's greeting card published by Famitsu, so kind of a similar story. They said, quote, thank you very much for your support of the remastered version of Persona 4 Ultimate Edition 2 or whatever it's called, Persona 4, uh, in 2022, as well as Soul Hackers 2 and Persona 5 The Royal, uh, which came out in 2022. This is what the greeting card read, and then it, they continue on and say, in 2023, we will share, and with the release, sorry, we will start with the release of Persona 3 
Portable and Persona 4 Golden Remastered versions, which are coming to Xbox. And we are also preparing several unannounced new titles, so please look forward to it. Now, a lot of rumors suggest that we're looking at some kind of Shimigami Tensei uh, sequel or 25th anniversary, or tw I think it's the 20th or the 25th anniversary. I think it's the 20th anniversary of the series, and there's going to be some sequel and or remake celebrating that series, which is the strong rumor. But honestly, I wonder if it's... um. Now that you're bringing all the Persona titles over to Xbox and there's kind of like a, a new uh, swath of players who are familiar with these franchises, I wonder if perhaps they're getting ready to talk about Persona 6, which you got to assume is no doubt in development. So I wonder if 2023 will be the year where we get the reveal, not the release, but rather the announcement and the reveal of a Persona 6, uh, which I assume would probably be the first Persona game to have a multi-platform launch where it would probably come to PlayStation and Xbox and PC all at the same time. Uh, so that would be really exciting and interesting to see Persona kind of become one of these Sega franchises that is traditionally a Eastern game and then makes its way to PlayStation and now has slowly made its way to Xbox that just finds this audience on Xbox that uh, embraces and adores it, kind of like how everyone in recent years, myself included, have just come to really know and love the yakuza series um so i would love to see that be the case and uh fingers crossed but it looks like we're also probably getting some shin megami tensei uh news which is a franchise that's i'm i don't know if it's exclusively but it's largely been historically relegated to nintendo platforms so that really has no significance for us here on the xbox uh side of things but still notable nonetheless you never know maybe they do try to start bringing that franchise over to xbox as well so Lots of Japanese publishers and developers starting to starting to talk, starting the year off strong with teases uh, and uh, you know some stuff to get hyped over as we look forward to a new year with new possibilities for game delays and live service and poor launches and all the other fun things we get to enjoy as gamers. And our uh, our last story of mild amusement this week, and I, it's actually kind of insulting to call this a story of mild amusement, but our last kind of story to. Start off the week is actually a sad one. I just want to pay some respect and tribute. As VGC has relayed, uh, pro rally driver Ken Block, known by many video game players for his appearances in the Dirt and Forza franchises, has tragically died at the age of 55 following a snowmobile accident. Um, as well as being a pro rally driver who is popular on YouTube, Block will be familiar to uh, a lot of gamers for his appearances in those respective franchises we mentioned. Uh, Block appeared in three installments of Codemasters Dirt Racing video game series as a driver and a um, a Jimmy a Gimme Kana teacher. I don't know. I'm not familiar with what that is. Uh, he was also his Monster World Rally team vehicles are also available to play as in the game or to control in the game. Block appeared in the 2015 Need for Speed video game and as the style icon, and his Hoonigan-branded cars featured in Microsoft's Forza Racing video game series. So I'm very familiar. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'd say, like, cars are a um, kind of like a tertiary hobby and interest of mine. I'll go through phases where I'm, like, really obsessed with cars. It's a, a very big hobby for mine of mine for a little bit, and then I'll kind of get out of it. But then six months or 12 months later, I'll kind of become obsessed with cars again for uh, a month or so. And so I, I have, like, somewhat of a passive uh, familiarity with, uh, with Ken Block and some of his, you know, contributions is, his is, is racing and the Hoonigan brand for sure. As someone who loves, uh, Japanese cars, JDM cars in particular, definitely no stranger to the, uh, Hoonigan stickers slapped on every fucking Honda, Nissan, and Toyota from, from here until China. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's uh, obviously just sad to get this news kind of 
tangentially related to gaming, but no, nonetheless, uh, you know, just always want to pay respects when uh, someone is lost like that, especially someone so young. 55 is way too fucking young to, to go, so obviously respect out there to his family and loved ones who were affected by this great loss and to all the fans and players who are familiar with it obviously this is just a sad situation so you you wish those affected all the best and for them to be able to find peace in in their loss so all right guys that's it for the opening news segments and things of that nature i think we move in next to the main news segments but you know we don't jump in that fast we always like to slow down first talk about the games we've been playing for the week before we talk about the news of the week, but before we can talk about the games we've been playing, we got to talk about the food we've been eating. It's just the logic is there. It's very sequential when you think about it. So, guys, what have I been eating? Well, this is a little bit of a cheat, I guess, because this isn't this week. This is last week, but I didn't get to talk about it because last week we had that special episode with Hunter, and Hunter said, "Listen here, you motherfucker. If you if you start talking about food, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump." ship i'm gonna i'm gonna end the call i'm gonna leave your stupid little podcast behind and i'm gonna light a fucking cigarette and flick it behind me and watch your world burn motherfucker that's what he said to me he said it with a dead face and so i didn't tell you what i've been eating but hunter's not here this week motherfucker so now i'm gonna tell you all about what i've been eating and this is it is without further ado get your hands together baby because taco bell has released the salsa verde chicken burrito motherfucker we have finally got a new taco bell item no one's surprised by it taco bell's new shit all the time but the important thing here is the long awaited return of salsa verde this is the best sauce taco bell has ever had and they got rid of it about i don't know maybe 5 years ago because i guess satan's real or something i don't know and this burrito marks the return of the sauce. Now, here's the catch. I don't know if this is the original salsa verde sauce or not. I had a weird experience with this item. So let me let me let me give it let me tell you how it is. I've, I know I've talked in earlier episodes of the podcast about the salsa verde. It used to be one of the sauce packets you could get at Taco Bell, like mild, medium, hot, lava, whatever. Fire sauce, not lava. It's Mild, medium, hot, and fire, right? Those are the sauces. Well, salsa verde used to be one of those options. And it was my go-to sauce. My favorite thing to do back in those days was to get the chicken chalupa supremes, or ch- if I was a little cheaper, you know, you know, not really feeling wealthy and all that 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 time, I would get chicken soft taco supremes. Either way, you couldn't go wrong as long as you asked for like forty fucking packets of salsa verde and you just drench that shit all over your chicken tacos, your chicken chalupas. You're gonna have a great time. Salsa verde and chicken go together like peanut butter and jelly. And if you're not from America, and peanut butter and jelly sounds like a weird combination, it goes together like fucking Vegemite and uh, baked beans or whatever you guys in Australia and the UK like to eat. But anyway, all joking aside, guys, th- this sauce was one of my favorite aspects of of eating at Taco Bell regularly. As I as I did all the time throughout high school and college, and I just remember I tell I've told this story many times before, and so abridged version. One night, you know, after waiting tables at my old job in college, I was on my way home. It was one in the morning. I just gotten off the train, and I was trying to get home. Pulled into the Taco Bell drive-through, uh, and when I asked for my salsa verde, they said we don't have it. I checked the Taco Bell Reddit. It was everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. Salsa Verde was no moss, as they would say at Taco Bell. And uh, it's just, it, it's, it, the Taco Bell's never really been the same since. So, needless to say, this the introduction of this new Salsa Verde chicken burrito uh, brings with it a lot of, a lot of, um, 
you know, some some big shoes to fill, I should say. So here's the catch, though, is this is not Salsa Verde is back in the little packets you can ask for and you can add it onto anything in the menu. This is quite literally, here's one item on the menu. It's the Salsa Verde Chicken Burrito. It's on the $2 value menu. And the Salsa Verde is in the burrito. It's not something on the side that you can put on all your other items. It's just in the burrito. So I'm sure you could ask them for a side of it, and they might you know, give you a little something, but that's not, it's not really the same thing. So I ordered this thing excitedly you know, on a, on a lunch break real quick at work last week, and it was one of those things where I was like trying to get back to work real fast because I was really busy, and I really shouldn't have stopped and taken time to eat that day. But I decided to do it anyway against my better judgment, and I'm glad I did because, one, due to a technical issue with their payment system being down, um, and as well as me being in a rush, I was able to <laughs> get this food for free, long story short. Um, so I, it was basically one of those things where I grabbed it and I was like, yes, I'm eating this, and I scarfed it down. I didn't think twice about it. But I, I only say that to say I didn't really stop and enjoy the flavor and really think about how this thing tasted while I was eating it. But the only thing I could walk away from after eating this thing was that wasn't nearly as good as the Salsa Verde Chicken Supreme Tacos I used to eat back in the day or the Salsa Verde Chicken Chalupa Supremes I used to eat back in the day. It just tasted like something was a little off with all the ingredients. And of course, it's a burrito. It's not a taco. It's not a chalupa. But you would expect the Salsa Verde and the chicken to taste like they always have. But for some reason, and I think it comes down to the Salsa Verde, this new version they're using, it's not... The, the one they used to have brought back from the dead. I think it's a new recipe. It is a new salsa verde, which, you know, I'd rather live in a world where we have some variant of it than none at all, I guess. But it just didn't hit right. So a little bit of investigative homework for me, I suppose. But I need to go back to another Taco Bell maybe this weekend when I'm not so strapped for time and distracted and give this thing another go. Because while it was decent, it was not – it didn't transport me back – to a time where I was in high school and it was one in the morning. I was getting off work at the old Stony River Legendary Steakhouse and hitting up the Taco Bell drive-thru on my way to the gym before listening to Breathe Carolina blasting my earbuds while I run on the treadmill for an hour before going home and sleeping at like 2.30 in the morning. This didn't, didn't bring me back to those simple days of 2011 like I wanted it to. In fact, it just tasted like, oh, here's a new menu item at Taco Bell and it's good. It's not God tier. It's not the best, but it's good. And I just felt like, you know, the return of the Salsa Verde should should necessitate a bigger reaction than this did. And so I'm just a little I'm just a little torn on it. Happy to see it here, but I want to see it in the right light. You know, the other thing is on that same menu, their their kind of value-ish menu that's not really value because nothing's value anymore, everything's overpriced. It really does pale in comparison to the other staple of this menu that's been around for about a year now. I mean, the value menu at Taco Bell has been has been completely nerfed for the past two or three years, I'd say at this point, but you know, rest in peace, loaded chicken griller. But, um, really the go-to value menu item at Taco Bell these days is the beefy melt burrito, which is beef, sour cream, cheese, spicy Fritos, rice, and, uh, that's it just wrapped up and it's real, real good shit, really filling, really big, quite a decent value for two bucks. And, I hate to say it, but that actually reigns supreme over the Salsa Verde Grilled Chicken Burrito, which by comparison is rice, chicken, sour cream, shredded cheese, not cheese sauce, shredded cheese, uh, and Salsa Verde. So you're getting sour cream mixed with Salsa Verde. I don't know. I don't know how to make it better. I just don't. I don't know. I need to give it another go. I guess I'm torn. 
But I know a lot of you guys have tried it as well because I've had people bring it to my attention. Be like, Jesse, Jesse, chicken burrito, new item at Taco Bell. So I know some of you guys have tried it. So if you have, please write in and let me know. What did you think of the Salsa Verde chicken burrito? And are you tired of hearing me say Salsa Verde chicken burrito? With that, we will move on from the what I've been eating and talk about what I've been playing this past, I guess, two weeks because that's how long it's been since we've last talked about this. So I guess I'll kind of go in the order it's been happening. I told you guys I've been I've been getting really distracted. You know, when Callisto Protocol first came out, I had just finished up High on uh, not High on Life. I just finished Evil West, which I loved, and then I jumped into Callisto Protocol, and I really liked that game as well. And then I kind of just got busy with the game awards, with making a new video, with the holidays, and all these things. So I finally got back to Callisto Protocol on Christmas Eve. I wrapped it up. I rolled credits, and I don't have too much more to say other than what I said the first two times we talked about this game, uh, which is that I really like this game. I think it is getting criticized a little too harshly. I understand maybe uh, the performance is different depending on the platform you play, but I played this game 50% on Xbox Series S and 50% on and 50% on Xbox Series X. And I can tell you that between both platforms, I had no issues. Yeah, of course, the game looks and runs a little better on the Series X, but it ran at a really solid 30 FPS, 1080p on my Series S, and I didn't have any crashes or bugs or glitches or game-breaking issues or anything like that. The game, performance-wise, was not even remotely an issue for me. So I can't speak to that, which I know is a, 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 a point of contention for a lot of critics and people who've reviewed the game. Now, aside from that... The thing I really can't understand is why people are saying this game is like a like a six or seven out of ten, when when Dead Space is like a, a masterful ten out of ten. It's not the 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 amount of daylight between Callisto Protocol and the game it obviously is a spiritual successor to, which is the Dead, the Dead Space franchise. I don't think there's that much daylight between this game and that game. Now you know. My, one of my favorite games I played last year, I put it number three in top favorite games of 2022 that I played. I put Dead Space 1. I recently fell in love with that franchise. I think the first Dead Space is an immaculate, perf- perfect action horror game. It's probably my favorite game in the genre. But actually, by far, it definitely is. And um, so it's not like I don't value... It's not like I don't value Dead Space. It's just that I played Callisto Protocol and I thought, this is a very damn good game. And it's just, if you're if you're a Dead Space fan who's been yearning for some more of this kind of game, I think Callisto Protocol is, is, is it's not going to just satisfy you, but it's a must play. It's going to be quite rewarding to finally get a game like this again. Um, do I think it's better than Dead Space? No, but I think it's really, really good. Uh, I, I It took me a really long time to finally get really used to the rhythm of using that interesting unique and kind of awkward dodging mechanic um i don't prefer that this game feels a little more gun oriented well, i don't want to say gun oriented melee oriented is what i mean to say um uh, whereas the the first uh dead space is a lot more gun oriented and the gun is a lot more unique because it's more of utilizing tools as guns because you don't have guns and the whole mechanic of shooting limbs as a part as opposed to traditional shoot for the head so Callisto protocol is a little more generic in its combat by comparison i feel like um but still it's like even without that or even with that into consideration i just felt like Callisto protocol feels so special because it's everything that Dead Space is, but with a very modern sense of cinematic feel and pacing and that kind of like camera control that just keeps the story in a constant state of motion that just feels so cinematic and so satisfying to just 
stay hooked on and watch. And I really loved that aspect of, of Callisto Protocol. The acting's phenomenal, but the writing is phenomenal. The, the story is engaging from start to finish with no lapse at any point in, in, in interest. I like the world is fun to explore and to learn about. The collectibles are interesting to pour through, listen to the audio logs, read all about the profiles of the people who are dead or MIA and learn about, you know, who they are and, and what and what their job and their position in all this mess uh, tells you about the world you're in and everything. I think the environmental storytelling in this game, while not the most unique in terms of how it conveys it, is quite rich. It's really fun to learn about these different things that have happened on this this moon, uh, uh, this Callisto uh, moon. And um, I don't know, I, just, I really like this game from start to finish. My biggest gripe, the number one thing I have against this game is the checkpoint system. I think the checkpoint system is straight up ass. This game will this game will checkpoint you back like 25 30 minutes if you die at certain parts, not always, but there's there are a couple times in the game where I died and like you're really going to fucking checkpoint me 20 minutes back? Like what the hell? It feels like you're playing a PS2 game at some points with how bad the checkpoint system is. And it's just one of those things where we kind of take for granted today um, some of just the, the things that game developers pretty much never fuck up anymore because we've just moved so far past the early 3D era of gaming. And uh, just so to see a checkpoint system as bad as the one in Callisto Protocol is just like horrendously laughably bad. Uh, but other than that, you know, for the mo- I mean, for the most part, the game is not terribly hard. You can play on any difficulty you want, play on the easiest difficulty if you're worried about the checkpoint system or about getting frustrated or aggro. Um, it, it still offers only like a minimal challenge at, at that difficulty level. And overall, I just I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed my nine hour or so playthrough with this game. Um, I'm very much looking forward to hopefully seeing more of the Callisto Protocol uh, if it ever gets a sequel. It seems kind of uncertain at this point just because critically I don't think this game landed where anyone really expected it to. Um, but we'll have to see. Sales are everything, not not always reviews. So here's hoping we get more Callisto Protocol. I think they'd really nail a second entry, but I don't know. I really enjoyed that game. The other thing I started was High on Life. I started right after Callisto Protocol. said, everyone's raving about this game. I got to see what's going on. And I've only played about an hour of High on Life. I, I meant to get back to it in the past few days, and I just haven't because I've been busy dicking around with Halo Infinite and Modern Warfare 2. But here's the thing, man. I I don't really enjoy the Rick and Morty kind of whatever the guy the guy's name is the creator uh, his name is I don't enjoy that kind of humor I really find it just kind of obnoxious it's a little like hot topic death pool death pool hoodie kid kind of like annoying to me where I'm just like okay we get it it's like you, you didn't I don't know it just I don't mean to be like like such a dick but it, it just it's that kind of humor where I'm like it's not really funny it's just it's just really off color and really uh it like it's just like that kind of humor that has like that shock value because it's like oh look how inappropriate we're being look how casual we're being about terrible things it's like yeah but there's like a there's a finesse and a charm you have to have with that kind of humor otherwise you just and I don't know just the this kind of humor to me is like the physical embodiment of like the kid who drives like a Subaru WRX and wears beanies 11 months out of the year, even when it's hot outside and has Rick and Morty vans and smokes an e-cigarette and is just like, bro, 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 God of War Ragnarok. I, I don't I don't know how to like put it other than to just maybe uh, personify some some potentially non-existent human being and make fun of them for a bunch of immu- immutable characteristics as well as uh, their personal taste, which is unfair. But I, there's just something about this game where it's like, 
it's adjacent to my sense of humor and my kind of interest in, in in things, but it doesn't totally land. And it, as a result, it kind of pisses me off and annoys me a little, a little bit more than it entertains and, and, uh, and humors me. And so there's just something about this game where I can't quite get into it, but I do appreciate it for trying to be funny because with that aside, with the, with the fact that the humor is just not clicking with me aside, I have to give this game praise, like high praise, because I think this is one of the most creative and unique games I've played in a long time. And I think I think that's worth a lot more than whether or not the humor landed for me, because whether or not, you know, my subjective sense of humor was was catered to with this with this humorous games writing is just kind of like, who cares? It's personal taste. But whether or not the game is attempting to do something unique and creative is something that regardless of whether or not the game worked for you or jived with you, you can at least respect and appreciate because, I mean, we're talking about an industry of entertainment that is so endless and vast with potential and possibility to create and push the boundaries and push the envelope and do new things. But nine times out of 10, you just get vague multiplayer shooter loot boxes. You guys like NFTs? Fuck you. Season two, the game came out broken. And also, here's a stupid overpriced skin you can buy for $23. And it's like, when when the world is so overrun by that, or just safe sequels and things like that, it is so refreshing to see a game like High on Life that isn't afraid to just be, for all intents and purposes, a pretty rudimentary, basic first-person shooter that's not really you know pushing the mold or changing things, but that constantly pokes fun at and flips like conventional game tropes on its head by drawing awareness to it, breaking the fourth wall, using it to the advantage of the of the plot and things like that. And I find that very endearing and very funny. So even though a lot of times while I'm playing this game, I'm not laugh out loud like, haha, that's funny. I do have a lot of like, oh, that's really clever. I really appreciate that they're fucking around with this convention by making this joke or or that, you know, vice versa. Obviously, the opening, I think, is is the prime example of this, which I, I won't spoil if you haven't played the game yet, because I think this game has a really special opening five minutes or ten minutes that I think uh, will put a smile on anyone's face because it's just really unique. It's really fun. And I think that's the prime example of this game just being really creative. And, you know, it's hard to say. I think the game is about 10 hours or so. Uh, I'm Again, I'm only like an hour, a little over an hour into it. But I would be interested to see if this game runs out of steam uh, because so much of what makes this game special is its fourth wall breaking and humor and all that. And I wonder if it can keep the momentum for 10 hours straight because the thing is this game is constantly talking in your ear. Characters are always going on. Dialogue is constantly happening. And that's what makes the game compelling um, is that is that writing, is that that humor and so I just wonder if they're able to keep it from start to finish. But I wonder, I also, I don't want to say worry, but I guess wonder if I'm even going to get to see it all the way through to the end because I feel like the game is just not, it's like when I play it, I appreciate it. And I, I really, I like, I'm, I see what you're doing. I think this is really cool. I'm glad it's worked out for them. I'm glad the game is being well received by players and that it's getting a lot of attention on Game Pass. But I just don't know that it's holding my attention to keep me around long enough to really find out what happens in the end and if it stays as good in the end as it is in the beginning. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I've, 
there aren't many games where I play and I feel this way, where it's like, personally, I find the humor kind of obnoxious. However, I really respect the game. I really appreciate the game. I really admire the game. And I totally see why people are enjoying it and having a great time. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'm being just a little bit of a hater, if I'm being completely honest. But I'm just it's just not working for me. And so I have to accept that it is what it is. Uh, I will I will try to give this game another hour or so and, and see if maybe things turn around. Maybe, you know, a different mood will help me to appreciate it more. I don't know, but the thing is, I'm I'm ready to get into my next single player playthrough uh, of a new game, and I, I'm 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 eyeing Persona Five. I want to get that out early in the year before this year starts really ramping up with all the new releases. So I'm going to try to maybe move into Persona Five. I've been a little bit distracted these this past week or so because Modern Warfare Two and Halo Infinite are both just like, hey Jesse, instead of playing a new game and experiencing something new, how about you just turn on a podcast and play another hour of multiplayer. That will get you nowhere in life. And I'm like, ooh, that's tempting. So anyway, that's what I've been playing this week, guys. Um, let me know what you think about any of those games if you've been playing them as well. Shout out to Halo Infinite. God, it's so good now. The game is finally so good. But uh, with that all said, let's jump into the main news of the week, which we got three, four stories here. So let's just uh, dive right in. All right, our first story. and First two stories are kind of related. I put them separate, but we can kind of talk about them together, I guess. But let's just jump in with the first and see where it goes from there. VGC reports that Bethesda has reiterated that they intend to release the Xbox console exclusive Starfield during the first half of the year, 2023. The statement was made by a newly launched support uh, support website for the Todd Howard RPG spotted by Starfield Beyond on Twitter, which went live at the start of the month saying, quote, Starfield arrives exclusively on Xbox Series X, S, and PC in the first half of 2023. The first half. It will also be available as a cloud streaming title. Director Todd Howard presented the first Starfield gameplay of 15 minute, if, with 15 minutes of footage uh, at the Bethesda Xbox Game Showcase last year in June, shortly after the title had been delayed for the from the first half of 2023. Sorry, from 2022 to the first half of 2023. Speaking with Lex Friedman podcast later in the year, which was like a month ago, I think, he claimed that the decision to delay the game was a tough one, but, quote, it was the right thing to do, and that Bethesda was working with, quote, the top engineers at Xbox to make the game sing on consoles. So, to be clear, this is technically a re- reiteration, not a, um, not a like, update on the release date, because they, they did say first half. It's just we still don't have a firm date. So, you know, first half, that's within the next six months. If we don't have a firm date by now, usually that means eh, maybe it gets delayed to the end of the year. I don't know. It's hard to say because we you always want to look at Fallout 4 and be like, remember when Bethesda announced a game, revealed a game, and then it was out within like four months of that announcement? That's what they should do. That's what Bethesda should be going forward. And they've done things kind of similar to that. I think I think Dishonored 2 had a similar kind of announcement to release time frame. So it, it would be nice if that was how Bethesda always operated. So for them to say, oh, early 2023, you kind of hope that means the next time we see this at an event, you know, maybe they'll... Maybe they'll just have a release date, and it'll be three or four months from that point in time. The the strong rumor that we talked about last time on the on the show was that, you know, there's apparently an Xbox Bethesda game showcase event that's going to take place in early 2023. So that means probably the next three to six weeks from now. And so you, you wonder, well, will that event have the Starfield release date? And it kind of makes sense because if this game is coming out in the first half of the year, you kind of want to roll out the red carpet for it. So maybe having a, a showcase is a good idea. Also kind of says sorry for not being at the Game Awards and also kind of takes this slower time of year to be like, all right, attention all gamers. 
Xbox. Here's what we're doing for the next year. I know last year you said we got no games, but look at this year. We got a bunch of games, and we got some big ones dropping before we even halfway through the year. And I think that's a really smart move for Xbox. So if we are to believe the rumors of there being an Xbox showcase very early in 2023 paired with the fact that this game is still slated to come out before the halfway point of the year. I think these kinds of things, these these two things line up perfectly and kind of complement one another. So this makes perfect sense. So that is a huge boon for Xbox, I think, to have a title of that magnitude release, uh, you know, before you even get close to the holiday season. But on top of that, to compound it, let's let's introduce our second story. Uh, as Windows Central relays through through an exclusive report, Redfall, the upcoming Xbox uh, game from Arcane Studios, creators of Deathloop, Prey, and Dishonored, will join Starfield as part of Microsoft's big Xbox PC gaming console lineup in 2023, with Microsoft previously confirming that Redfall is gunning for the first half of 2023. According to reports from Windows Central sourcing, Jez Corden's uh, sourcing corroborated with... Uh, corroborated on the Xbox 2 Plus 1 podcast that aired last week. Redfall is targeting an early 2023 release window, the first week of May to be exact. The rumors began with Okami 13, who claimed that Redfall would be targeting an early May release. Uh, Windows Central's own sourcing corroborated with those reports uh, that Microsoft internal targets focus on an early May release for the game, complete with some of early access periods, similar to in how Forza Horizon 5 had an early access uh, little window there as well. So Redfall might have some kind of like pre-order the premium edition of the game or whatever and get, you know, four days early access or a week early access. Access, which Microsoft's done that a lot in recent years. They did that with Gears 5, I think, most notably. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't be too surprising to see them do that with Redfall. Uh, and then the story rounds out and says, if uh, things go according to plan, Arcane should see a May 2023 release for Xbox Series S and X consoles as well as PC. The game would hit Microsoft Store, Steam, and also drop day one in Game Pass for good measure. So, there we go. We got inside reporting from Windows Central that suggests that death or... Um, Redfall will be out the first week of May and then confirmation that, hey, the plan for Starfield is still let's get this thing out uh, in the first half of the year. So to be clear, first first week of May, that means it's probably going to come out either Tuesday, May 2nd, Thursday, May 4th or Friday, May 5th. My my money is on Tuesday, the 2nd or Friday, the 5th. But yeah, if that's the plan and they meet that target date. That's very soon. That's very, very, very soon because May 1st is at the start of a week. So we're talking about borderline April release for Redfall. And you don't want to cannibalize Starfield and Red... Or, well, you don't want to cannibalize Redfall by putting it out too close to Starfield. Not that the games are exactly the same, but they are two big Xbox first-party games in, in a time where Xbox is sorely lacking first-party releases. Uh, you don't want to do a Forza Horizon 5, Halo, Infinite, kind of one, two, what the fuck are you doing releasing these games too close together thing. I think you want to avoid that. So if Death or Deathloop, if Redfall is coming out the first week of May and you're trying to get both these games out before the first half of the year is over, which is in June, my guess is that you probably want to get Starfield out in like February, March. And so this adds to another rumor which has been going around, and this one I believe a little less so, so don't get too excited when I say this. I don't want to mislead you, but is it possible that Xbox is going to have a game showcase in the next couple of weeks, and they're going to kind of shadow drop Starfield? That would be fucking cool, because it does kind of play to the 
Bethesda's strength of like very short time between announcing a project and just being like, here you fucking go. But at the same time, it's like, mm, they so confidently delayed Starfield out of November 2022. It doesn't make sense to delay it out of November 2022 so early in advance just for it to only have like a three-month delay. You, you feel like maybe, you know, if you're going to get that kind of level of delay where they got to announce it well in advance means six to 12 months at least for a delay. So I don't know because usually the... The, the, the one to two month kind of delay is generally for like the last minute delay. Usually your first delay is a big one. So that kind of muddies the water a bit when you start getting a little like in the in the weeds about how the delay cycle usually works because unfortunately we're so used to every game getting delayed that you can kind of read the patterns and see kind of how that works. But wouldn't it be so fucking cool if, you know, by no later than mid-February, so no later than like the Super Bowl when the Super Bowl happens, we have some kind of big Xbox showcase event. At that event, we get release dates for Starfield and for Redfall. And oh yeah, Redfall uh, Starfield is actually out now, or it's out next week, or something crazy like that. Like, can you can you imagine that? Like, hey, Starfield is out right now, or hey, uh, preload Starfield right now. It's, it'll be on Game Pass next week. That would be so cool. It would be akin to what they did with with Halo Infinite, where they were just like, hey, Halo Infinite, coming out December 8th or 9th or whatever the date was in 2021. They're just like, fuck it. Here's the multiplayer right now. Go have fun. And so I don't know. I think that's it's a really cool move. It's, 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 uh, it's tricky to do that because a game like Starfield is a game you want to have a big marketing cycle for because it's not a multiplayer game. It's not all about just getting a massive player base online playing together immediately. This is a this is a single player long ass narrative driven RPG kind of game that y- you want to get, you know, ads for this game at on football game, you know, during football games and and all over TV and do partnerships and have YouTube content leading up to it with their, with content creators and you want to have a bunch of different uh, pre-release kind of game videos leading up to it showing different features of the game like this is this is one of those games where it's like you kind of want to have your marketing cycle so I don't know that shadow dropping it necessarily works in that favor but at the same time absolutely everyone knows of this game and is looking forward to it so is it one of those things where if anyone can get away with it it's Bethesda you know if any game can justify it, it's Starfield so I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm all over the map on this one, if I'm being quite honest. But I do believe the continuous reports and, and rumors suggesting that that both of these games will be out before the first half of the year. So if Deathloop is, or I keep saying Deathloop, if Redfall is coming out May, the first week of May, I think that kind of puts Starfield in a little bit of a situation where it's like, okay, you have until February or March. But if you do February or March, it's like, well, then it's up against all these other big games. Not to say that Starfield has to worry about competition. It's one of those games that other games have to worry about. But still, it's like, I don't know. It would suck a little bit, wouldn't it, if Starfield released right next to Hogwarts Legacy, right next to fucking Atomic Hearts and all the, all these other games that we're looking forward to that are supposed to be coming out in the February to March time frame. And that's another thing we'll get into later on when we go over the games coming out in 2023, which is that the first couple months of this year are, are, are loaded. We got a lot of shit the first three or four months of this year to look forward to. So it's, it's going to be a lot of competition. So if we're going to get both of these games out in the first half of the year, damn it, Xbox. <laughs> that's uh, that's crazy. I'd, I'd almost rather one of these games be pushed back to the fall just so we can kind of space things out. But nonetheless, it looks like 
not only is Xbox about to end its dry spell with lack of first-party content, but it's about to have some pretty big hitters. I, I just wish we had some some more content from Xbox's like per, you know privately incubated first-party content rather than just games that they now own as way of purchasing a, a studio or 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 publisher. But nonetheless. Thankfully, you know, Bethesda is absolutely going to help deliver on Xbox's lack of first party content front because these both these games look phenomenal and have a lot of hype behind them and will no doubt make Xbox the center of uh, the conversation for quite a while once they release. All right, for our third and final story of the week, we're actually going to stick with uh, we're going to stick with with uh, Bethesda, who uh, but we're totally shift gears. Uh, where 300 Bethesda workers have formed the first Microsoft union, which is kind of crazy news. So from Windows Central, three days into the new year, there's now a union of workers at Microsoft's own ZeniMax Media. Over 300 Bethesda Softworks employees, and be clear, software, Bethesda Softworks, that is the specific developer that makes the Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Starfield games. So um, this is specifically Todd Howard's development team, which is, I assume that's probably a massive team of close to 1,000 people, maybe... I don't know, somewhere around that. Uh, but over 300 Bethesda Softworks employees successfully unionized after announcing their plans back in 2022, with a supermajority choosing to sign a union card or go through the special terminal uh, set up for the, uh, for the purposes of voting. In a press release, the Communication Workers of America noted that per its stated principles, Microsoft voluntarily recognized the union. Quote, before us is an opportunity to make big changes and bring equity to the video game industry. We want to put an end to sudden periods of crunch, unfair pay, and lack of growth opportunities within a company. Our union will push for truly competitive pay, better communications between managers and workers, a clear path for those who want to progress their career, and more, said Victoria Banos, senior QA audio tester in Hunt Valley, Maryland, which is uh, Maryland's where... Bethesda is based out of. The union includes quality assurance or QA testers from across the different ZeniMax studios in the U.S., including Arcane, uh, Arcane Austin, the other Arcane is in France, Bethesda Game Studios, its software in ZeniMax Online Studios, with many working uh, with many working on upcoming Xbox games like Redfall and Starfield. So to be clear, it looks like it is uh, a collection of employees from various teams at Bethesda, not just Bethesda Softworks, or not just Bethesda Software. So I I, I fucked up. Bethesda Game Studios is the one that makes the uh, Starfield Elder Scrolls Fallout, so I I fucked up there. Uh, So Bethesda Softworks referring to the family of studios. Shortly before the end of the year, Windows Central spoke with one of the organized workers who indicates that the group is hopeful for a good contract, saying, quote, it's difficult to express in words just how much winning our union matters to us. We've been working so hard to get to where... uh, to get here, and it would be impossible not to be excited. We know that's not the end of our hard work, but reaching this milestone gives us faith that the workers will stand together and that we can accomplish anything we set our minds to, said Dylan Burton, senior QA tester in Dallas, Texas. This also comes just a few days after the news that Activision Blizzard Studios are unionizing, or a studio is unionizing, if successful, and if Microsoft purchases Activision Blizzard, the company will have four different unions at gaming companies, which is a huge amount of precedent, as this is an industry that is just in the beginnings of of unionizing in any uh, capacity. Historically, the games industry doesn't really have a history with unions at all. So, all right. So there's the news. It's red. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say about this other than just these goddamn entitled millennials. They just want to fucking have everything handed to them. They're a bunch of Venezuelan socialists. I mean, they just want everything for free. They think that they should just be able to show up to work and get like, $10 
I don't know, a living wage and like the ability to own a home one day and maybe support a family. It's just so entitled, really. Maybe if they stopped drinking Starbucks coffee every now and then, they'd be able to afford a $2.9 billion single family, 1,300 square feet home. But it's just, I don't know, the entitlement of these QA developers. It's, it's just like, come on, man, just let the big corporations tell you what you are worth as a human being because unionizing is just so bad, dude. It's just so, so, so evil, really, really quite awful that people want to fight for their own, uh, their own equity and their own self-worth uh, against a huge corporation like Microsoft. I just think that's so fucked up, man. Don't you think big corporations should have more of a say in how people live their lives and how, how, how the quality of their life is lived? I just, I think that's so fucked up. People want a voice. I just beyond me, but no, all joking aside, I, I don't know. Listen, I understand for some people, this might be viewed as a political thing. I don't, whatever. It's like arguing about homelessness. It's like, I don't think that's political. I think it's objectively true that maybe we should look out for one another and make sure people have a, a way of taking care of themselves and living a decent fucking life. But some people might view this. Uh, listen, the story necessitates some kind of analysis of unionizing in the game space and what that means. And if we think it's a good thing or a bad thing or where this trend is headed, I think it's kind of stupid when, commentators and pundits and, and and people try to stay impartial on things like this. Unfortunately, the, the, the news is inherently quote-unquote political. I don't even really know what political means. You can talk about fucking bagel bites versus pizza rolls these days, and everyone will call you a communist or a socialist, depending on which one you choose. I think the story necessitates some kind of analysis and personal preference and some kind of personal take on it. And so I'm going to give you my thoughts on this. As someone who has fortunately, knock on wood, pretty much always just worked for privately owned businesses that are never too, too big, um, I've been fortunate enough to where I've never really felt like I've been in a company where I don't have a voice and where the company hasn't invested in me because, I again, I just never really worked for like a publicly traded massive corporation. So... I don't have any experience with this. I'm from the South. Atlanta's my home. Now I live in Florida. I'm not really from a union state. You know, I know union states, it's usually associated with more of like a Northern East Coast kind of thing in, in the U.S. in the U.S. at least. And so I, I'm not going to lie to you and act like I come from a union family or I, were, I, I am part of a union or I know what that experience is like. I know there are plenty of probably valid criticisms levied towards unions in general, but I think the I th I think the logic is misplaced and the the I, I well let me say I think the intention like is is kind of with malice and misplaced a lot of times with the rhetoric that kind of gets tossed around about whether or not unions are good or bad. Let's just break it down to its core because like like anything in this world, it's like let's not talk about let's not talk about what someone's personal experience was one time and use an anecdote to kind of fight for or against something. Let's just talk about the basics of what this means for these developers and whether or not we think this is what this means for the games industry as a whole and whether or not we think this is beneficial or uh, hurtful towards our industry that we are all invested in because we like games and we want good games to continue to come out and for us to be able to enjoy them. In theory, this 300-member union at Bethesda Softworks hypothetically enables a large pool of employees to now have more of a fighting chance to speak for themselves when they feel that their workplace is unfair in terms of compensation, in terms of equity, in terms of, in terms of treatment towards one another, in terms of inclusion, in terms of how much they're worked, what, what they are rewarded with for certain contributions, whatever the case may be. It can have to do with safety in the workplace. It can have to do with just about anything. But what this union hypothetically, in theory, on paper allows 
is for these 300 people to have more of a voice and more of a bargaining chip for their voice to matter and to be heard and for their needs to be met. And I don't understand, just as a human being, on paper, how you can't look at something like this and think anything other than, that's pretty great. That's pretty fucking great. Because as a human who wants to do well in life and succeed and and live well and take care of those I love and see others do well, I want to be able to know that the people making my favorite video games are also living well, being compensated well, being treated well. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. I know somewhat kind of contradicts an argument we've had on this podcast before about crunch culture and how it's kind of overblown. And I do mostly stand by that, that argument. But as, as someone who does not work in the games industry, it is not for me to say what is wrong with the games industry and what isn't wrong with the games industry in terms of what the individual boots on the ground workers need. And so the idea of a a union to me is fantastic because it means now these people who are actually directly affected have a way to communicate with their employer and say, Hey, this is what we need you to fucking do because the way we're doing this is not safe or the way we're doing this is not fair. The way we're doing this is short-sighted. And it's just not creating a healthy work environment for everyone. And I think that's fucking great. Especially when you consider that the parent company is ZeniMax and the parent company of that is Microsoft. It's like, I don't really give a shit. If this costs Microsoft more money or or it makes games take a little longer to develop because now unions have a little bit more say in how things go. It's like, I don't really give a shit. I want to know that the people working on these games are being given the opportunity and the power to fight for themselves and to, and to make sure they're given what they need to live healthy, well-adjusted and well-compensated lives. I think that's phenomenal. Um, now the way this kind of contradicts some other arguments I've made potentially, if you want to see it that way is, is like I said, like I alluded to the whole crunch culture in the games industry. I don't know how to, I, I know this is one of those things where people are going to like not really understand what I'm saying, or they're just going to kind of hear what they want to hear and ignore the point I'm trying to make. I think it's wrong if you work at a grocery store and you're a cashier and you're scheduled to come in at 12 o'clock noon and work until 8 p.m., I think it is wrong for your employer to be like, I'm going to fire you if you don't stay every night this week until 10 p.m. because we're short-staffed and I fucking need you. And uh, I know you're only scheduled to 8, but I need you to stay till 10 because fuck you. And also, you can't take a break because I, I just we're busy this week and I need you. That's fucked up. Because <laughs> when you are a cashier at a grocery store, and that is this is no offense to anyone who does this line of work, I I've been a cashier at a grocery store before. You are create you are offering your labor to help make a grocery store survive and operate for someone else's benefit. You're not doing that because it is your joy, it is your passion, it is your desire in this world to contribute and make something great to really help customers purchase groceries you know you're not getting anything out of that they're not like if you continue to work like this man you can uh, you can one day be a general manager of a fucking walmart or maybe one day you'll be the ceo of a company it's there's nothing in it for the employee whatever an extra hour of, of hourly pay whatever the case may be who gives a shit you got to take care of your employees. You got to make sure you're not overworking them. You got to make sure that you're being fair to them, that you're giving them advance notice on things you need. If, if things are going to change or, you know, plans change and schedules change, you need to take care of your employees. I am against forced crunch in situations like that, where it is entirely unnecessary. You know, if your store is understaffed, you can't fucking force your workers to, to, to just stay longer and work harder. That's fucked. 
But the games industry doesn't really work like that, and that's not what this whole argument of crunch culture is about. And the reason I get upset about it is because we don't have an overwhelming outcry from boots-on-the-ground developers in the trenches making games saying, oh, my God, I just, oh, I regret working at Naughty Dog. I regret working at Rockstar. I regret working at 343 because, oh, my God, they just wouldn't let me go home one night. They just said, oh, we're not going to put your, or we're not going to give you a bonus if you go home tonight because uh, you you got to get this fucking thing right in the multiplayer menu or else fuck you, you're fired. That's not what's happening. What you're getting is a bunch of fucking video game journalists, a bunch of people over at Bloomberg and IGN and Kotaku who are just like, video game crunch is so bad. And I would know this because I, I write articles about video games at at Kotaku for 35 hours a week and whatever. And I think whatever, a bunch of fucking goddamn socialist Venezuelan freaks is what it is. Entitled millennials, you know what I'm talking about? But all joking aside, it's like, I, I think it's different because we're not seeing the story come from the workers' mouths that crunch is bad. I think when you're creating artistic things, when you're creating art, when you're working on a passion project, something where your personal contribution has a deep impact on what the final product is, I think that's different. Like, for example, if I'm working on a YouTube video, or better yet, let's just talk about the podcast because that's less embarrassing. If I'm working on this podcast, guess what? It's Wednesday night. I work tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m. I have to wake up at 5 in the morning to get ready for work. If I got to be up until 1.30 editing and uploading and tagging and getting this fucking podcast ready for you guys so it goes up at 9 a.m. tomorrow like it's supposed to, I will fucking do it. And you can call it crunch. Sometimes the podcast goes on for three hours when I only mean for it to go on for an hour and a half. And a three-hour podcast means an extra hour and a half of recording. It means an extra hour of editing. It means an extra hour of waiting for the fucking video to to render out and everything so I can upload to YouTube. It, means, it makes everything take so much longer. For every minute the podcast goes longer than I anticipate, it's an extra five minutes of work. It's like that kind of thing where it's a lot of work. But... It doesn't fucking matter because this is my podcast. It's my creative project. It is my passion project. I make it because I want to be able to put my fucking name on this podcast and put it out there and say, look at this world. I made a stupid podcast about Xbox and you can like it or hate it, but whatever you think about it, it's my thing that I created and it's my hard work paid off in some kind of creative artistic form that you can either take it or leave it. And so there's, I'm vested in it. It's something different. And so I, I, re, I largely reject this whole crunch culture in the games industry because it's like, yeah, man, if I fucking worked at 343 Industries and I had the opportunity of a lifetime to contribute to the Halo franchise, yeah, dude, I'd, I'd fucking, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's a career where the people in your life, your loved ones, they have to know, like, yeah, sometimes I might be asked to stay later. It's not even that you're asked. It's sometimes I might need to stay late because the work I need to get done is not done at a clean 4 p.m. or whatever the case is. Sometimes it's like the work is done when it's done. And so you just got to respect and understand that. You know, it's working in the games industry, working on a creative project, working on something like that. It's not a nine to five. You can't cleanly be like, oh yeah, we're just going to neatly develop um, art assets today from eight to five and they'll be done by five because that's what's on the schedule. It's like you can't schedule creative output like that. It just, it happens at the pace at which it happens. And so that's why I reject that largely. Um, Anyone who's ever done anything creative would fucking know. You know, whether you're a painter or a writer or a content creator, a podcaster, a video creator, whatever the fuck it is you do. Anyone who's done something creative knows the work takes as long as it takes to get the fucking thing done. So 
I largely reject in that sense. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I need to do that big tangent to just kind of differentiate between my very pro unionization stance here versus my, uh, my long, <laughs> um, uh, kind of just poo pooing and shooting down this, this ongoing notion in the games media of like, uh, crunch in the workspace. Uh, these guys are taking advantage of people are pretty well compensated in the games industry. And it's, you know, you, you fucking work at three, four, three, and you get halo on your resume. That's a great opportunity to go somewhere else and be like, yeah, hire me, bitch. I worked on halo. So it's, it's a different thing. Um, but Again, I like to leave the decision-making up to the creators. I like the developers and the people actually making the game, testing the game, designing the game, to be the ones to stand up for themselves and get to say, hey, corporation, we need more pay, or we need to delay a game because this is ridiculous, or hey, this current thing you have set up at the studio, it's a little unsafe. We, we can't do things that way. Or like, hey, we think a current policy is a little unfair to certain people who work at the studio, and we need to be a little more uh, inclusive and encompassing of everyone who is represented at our work our workplace and to have a union there so that you can have a more direct and representative kind of communication style between the workforce and in the, the corporation. I'm all for it. You know, you know, at that, at that point, once the union's made, it's all up to, you know, whatever God, I guess, or whatever you want to say in terms of how, how well the union functions and how pure it stays and whether or not it's, it's the same thing as like, a government or a corporation. It's like, I don't know, the bigger it gets, the more corrupt it gets, I guess. You know, people take issue with a lot of unions and things like that, but it's like, I, I don't know. It's a, a union is no different from a corporation or government. Eventually, at some point, some bad egg is going to get some kind of inkling of power, and then, yeah, they fucking ruin something for everyone. But that doesn't mean unions are a problem. It means you got to just make sure that they stay at a relatively decent size and relatively checked so that the right people are the ones in charge, making sure that the right decisions are being made on behalf of the people. And it's just, I don't know. I largely see this as a great thing and every ounce of analysis I provide so far completely just avoids the other, the other big aspect or not avoids just, we haven't even touched on yet. The other big aspect of this, which is that Microsoft basically just turned a blind eye and was like, yeah, sure. They're unionizing. Oh, well, this is huge news, especially in a world where big corporations like Amazon are regularly like shitting their pants, going above and beyond, spending millions and millions of dollars, trying so hard to make sure uh, unions do not form, that people cannot unionize, that you fire the people you suspect are trying to unionize, or you enact new policies to deter people, or you come up with workplace propaganda to make people not want to support uh, uh, the formation of a union. Like This is very common shit at big corporations, and we've seen it many, many times before in the past. So for a massive corporation like Microsoft, for them to just kind of be like, oh, they're unionizing? Okay, cool. Um, you know, I, I wish I could say this is just Microsoft being just a really awesome corporate citizen out there just doing their part, whatever. We know that's not the case. I, I don't know if this is maybe something they're going to let slide because they think at the end of the day, this is, um, it's a really good PR for them. And maybe it's something that they need while they try to acquire Activision Blizzard. It's like, Hey, look, we're, we're acquiring these publishing arms that we, we just let act autonomously we let them unionize we just leave them alone they do their thing uh sure some of their games are exclusive to our platform but other games that have legacy support on other platforms we continue to support and maybe it's just one of those things that helps them look good in the face of like the um the ftc and all this shit as they continue to fight this uh activision legal battle um so I, maybe that's a part of it i don't i don't really know why microsoft would just be so willy-nilly okay about it 
Um, the only other thing I can think of is, you know, Microsoft's approach with game developers has historically been a very laissez-faire one to almost a, to almost to a fault where it just seems like generally they, the way they treat their game developers is very much like, here's a blank check, here's endless time, go fucking make what you make, we're not going to check on you, and then, you know, needless to say, five years later, we get the, the rumors, like the fable rumor we're seeing right now circulate this week, and maybe I should have included this in the news, which is that apparently, um... Playground Games Fable uh, re reboot that they're working on has been scrapped in development and has been restarted. And basically that game is probably not coming out for another five years um, if the rumors are to be believed, which is very indicative of Microsoft's just big issue with mismanagement among their first party. So maybe this has maybe this is like, a, a, you know, there's good and good consequences and bad consequences of everything. And maybe one of the more laissez-faire hands-off approach, uh, positive consequences of this kind of. Uh, behavior and relationship Xbox has with a lot of its studios. Maybe one of them is they're pretty much, we don't give a shit if you choose to unionize, which you would think they would because unions can be quite costly, uh, both time and money and resource wise uh, when it comes to these corporations. So I don't know. I, I am a little surprised that Microsoft was pretty much whatever about it and just let it happen. But obviously I think this is a really good thing and I'm glad it did. I just, I assume, you know, it's none of this is ever for altruistic reasons. None of these are ever because corporations have the, the moral high ground and want to make the right choice. I think it's probably more to do with just, um, this will keep us in the good graces and keep us out of any more trouble and, and be a good example for why we should own other publishers as we try to make our legal case for why the Activision, uh, Blizzard deal should go through. And that's, that's my, ultimate guess is that that's what this is happening you know this is just a for this union this was a uh, a case of just perfect timing to where they were able to get this through with the, with the least amount of resistance due to just the timing of where microsoft is <laughs> legally with this um activision shit so yeah man I, I mean i guess i think that mostly covers the gamut of what i want to say here um, I guess I mean, kind of thinking about it, maybe we should have touched a little bit more on the Fable situation. Uh, a lot of outlets haven't really picked the story up because I, I guess it's not seen as reputable news. Uh, I don't really know. But yeah, it, it, apparently the rumor is that the Playground Games, Playground the developer behind the Forza Horizon series who have been working on a Fable reboot uh, for quite a while. Apparently the rumor is that they are scrapping the game. They're no longer developing it in the Forza Horizon engine, and they are now moving over to Unreal Engine 5, and the game is basically restarting development. So, of course, they have a lot of storyboarding and ideas and things worked out already, so it's a lot of building what they had already started on in a new engine. But still, I, I can't imagine, if, if that's to be believed, I cannot imagine this game is anything less than like four or five years away from releasing, which is just, you know, indicative of this bigger Xbox issue we've just been going on and on about for so long which is just that these first parties man you know rare rebooted uh a, a game recently undead labs rebooted or is having some development issue with the new state of decay uh everwild it was for rare state of decay for undead labs where the hell is compulsion games first entry since they've been acquired at almost six years ago uh you know what's what's happening dude it's just xbox where is the management with the, with this portfolio of studios you have and we got we went on and on about this during the stream on on twitch.tv slash lighting extreme on monday where we were just you know kind of having this back and forth about xbox and they're just terrible management of this of this first party lineup and i i just don't know what to think anymore it's you got to get someone in charge here who can who can be the guy to set expectations set deadlines at these studios and be like okay guys we want to support your creative visions but we got to be able to, to develop these games 
with the proper management and within the t- proper timeline so that we can get products out the door within a reasonable, you know, four to six year development cycle instead of just like, hey, we'll buy you. Here's money. Go fuck off and maybe make a game or maybe just never be heard of again. And I just think it's not really it's it, it's really detrimental to what we what we need on Xbox, which is first party support. And we're just really not getting it. Where are all these teams? Where are all these games? The initiative. What the fuck's going on? Why haven't we seen this Perfect Dark game? Uh, the Coalition, what's going on? We know you're working on something else. Gears is on hiatus. What's up with that? We're waiting on Gears 6. It's clearly the last game ended on a cliffhanger. So, like, what? what's your plan right now? You lost You lost Rod Ferguson, and, and now it just seems like there's no vision or coherency at that team. Like, what, what the hell is going on? And uh, there just needs to be some kind of org, order and structure going on at these first-party teams at Xbox and if this fable rumors to be believed, I think this is um, just more proof of, of that of that dire need. So, all right, guys, that is it for all of our big news stories of the week. We do have our stories of, of you know stories small enough to make the podcast not whatever. Uh, but first, before we get to that, I did want to add this kind of just pop up segment for this week only, since it is the first week of the year. It is the first podcast of the year to just kind of talk about. Get a feel, you know, get a temperature reading. What does 2023 look like for Xbox? So from GameSpot, I pulled this list they have, and it is just a list of all the games we know of that are coming in 2023. Uh, I, I deleted some things just because I, I try to keep it more specifically to games of a decent amount of notice. Um, and it, it puts some roffly where we know they're coming out. If they have a date, it puts a date on it. If we don't, it says TBD. But this is a rough list of the games we can expect in 2023 that are coming to Xbox and so let's let's go month by month and then a- after a couple months you'll see it just basically becomes a, a hodgepodge of TBA titles without a real release window. All right, so for January, kicking off January 13th, we got One Piece Odyssey coming out. Um, I don't really give a shit about that. I just know there are people who are probably going to care about that because One Piece is popular. Um, But then on January 19th, we get Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable on Xbox for the very first time. These games have been locked to PlayStation platforms for the longest time. So it's pretty notable, although Persona 5 uh, Royal was, I think, the the big one that we got um, last through, what was that, October, November? So... January has got a couple good things, but it, it, the the month ends on January 27th. Well, the last notable game of the year ends, uh, rounds us out on January 27th with the Dead Space remake coming out. And I think that is obviously a pretty big one that people are really excited about. So January already pretty decently strong. You got some diversity, some Eastern games, some Western games. You got some horror, you got some action, you got some RPG. Uh, so you get a little bit of everything. But, man, Dead Space is obviously the big one there. So, January, not not the craziest month of all time, but certainly a pretty decent start to a month that is historically, you know, pretty quiet. So, that's January. Then we move into February where we get Deliver Us Mars, which I don't, I don't really fully get what this game is. It looks good. It comes out February 2nd. But I think it's more of like a... Like, I, I think there's, like, some kind of, like, building element to it. Uh, that stuff, no. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy, which is a huge one on February 10th. Wanted Dead, which comes out on February 10th as well. Same day as Hogwarts Legacy, and this is conflicting to me because this looks so good. I'm really committed to playing Hogwarts Legacy, but Wanted Dead looks so damn good. This is from a new developer formed by ex-Ninja Gaiden guys, ex-developers of Ninja Gaiden, and uh, it looks so fucking cool. It's like, it's like, Samurai hack and slash action y bayonetta ninja guidance style combat with like cyberpunk 
city, futury, whatever shit. And you play as this girl with a samurai sword, and it's fucking cool, and it's awesome. And I want to play this game so bad, I did not know it existed until it was, it was apparently announced at TGS, and I just saw it for the first time this week. And boy, oh boy, this game looks so dope. It, this would be a great Game Pass get, actually. But Wanted Dead, that game I'm very much looking forward to. And then also in the month of February, we got Tales of Symphonia being remastered. Uh, that's my favorite game in the Tales franchise. I really need to get... I, I, maybe I'll finally play it and beat it now that it's going to be on Xbox. I'm older and I'll be able to better appreciate it that you know I'm not a kid getting confused on an RPG game. But that's a, a notable one. Wild Hearts comes out on February 17th. That's a pretty big one. That is the EA published but Musou game uh, from Koei, Tec uh, Koei Tecmo. Uh, so it's like monster hunting, monster hunter, but with like a building mechanic. Game looks really good, really out of left field. Uh, a game that was announced a few months ago. I think a lot of people are really, really curious to see. I think this game has massive potential to be a big hit. So, okay, February is already looking fucking crazy. And then after Wild Hearts. Shortly after, on February 21st, Atomic Heart comes out. Atomic Heart is probably my most anticipated game of 2023 so far. So this is a huge one for me. Uh, this is a Game Pass day one release. This is that uh, game from Russian developer Munfish where it's basically like Bioshock meets Wolfenstein and it looks fucking awesome. So it's like alt-future where like the Soviet won World War II or something like that, uh, I think. Or it's where... I don't know if it's about them winning World War II or if it's just about... Uh, like the, 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 the future of the Soviet just going completely differently, but it just looks, I don't even want to know anything about it. I just want to wait until it comes out and play it. This game looks so fucking cool. First person shooter, RPG, whatever game. Uh, it, yeah, it just, it screams Bioshock. Everything about this game, it looks like Fallout meets Bioshock meets Wolfenstein. And I just, oh my God, this is. This is my favorite type of game. Just this, these crazy first-person narrative-driven FPS shooting games like Wolfenstein, uh, the, the New Order, things like that. Just, oh, I absolutely love it. And Atomic Heart, you are by far right now my, my most anticipated title of the year. Aside from that, we got another game I'm really looking forward to on February 21st, Like a Dragon Ishin. This is the this is that uh, Yakuza game that takes place like like during like the samurai period in japan so pretty fucking crazy wonky it's gonna be a yakuza game so it's gonna be funny it's gonna be cool it's gonna be badass and engrossing with great storytelling and awesome combat and it looks more like it's classic kind of brawler style combat and less like that new rpg style combat so for those who miss that older yakuza combat i think this game's gonna give it to you blood bowl 3 comes out on february 23rd and then on february 28th we round out the month with another heavy hitter Destiny 2 Lightfall. This expansion looks so good. It brings the grappling hook. It brings that awesome fucking neon 80s aesthetic. New campaign. Really excited to see where they're taking the story following the Witch Queen. I love Destiny so, so much. This looks great. So February is already a total like fuck you month between Hogwarts Legacy, Wanted Dead, Wild Hearts, Atomic Hearts, uh, Like a Dragon, Ishin, and Destiny 2 Lightfall, and that is me leaving out three or four games that I'm also interested in. So February is a total fucking madhouse. So remember what we talked about earlier with Redfall and Starfield? Can you imagine Starfield being shadow dropped in February? Can you imagine how stressful that would be as a gamer to be like, ah, I'm trying to play Hogwarts Legacy and Wild Hearts and Atomic Heart and fucking Destiny 2, but also Starfield's here. Guys, it's it's a lot of shit right now. We need some serious delays right now to help spread this thing out because I, 
February is already like enough for a whole year's worth of great games. But then we move into March, um, which isn't as insane as February, but there's definitely some pretty notable games here. We got the day before coming out March 1st, so basically a February release. And uh, this is uh, I, this is another game I wasn't too familiar with until I looked into it in preparation of this week's podcast. But it's basically like State of Decay meets DayZ. It's a zombie open world MMORPG first person game. And dude, there's a lot of gameplay of this game and it looks so incredibly high fidelity and polished and triple a looking for a relatively unknown developer in in everything and this new unknown quantity of an ip and dude the fucking as we as state of decay flounders in its development cycle while undead labs and microsoft mostly microsoft are just unable to properly manage their first party pro, uh productions you got games like the day before which look potentially so promising that they could you know eat state of decay's lunch it's just man come on <laughs> come on xbox get some games out there but uh yeah this game looks very promising although it's definitely not a game i would i would pick up day one i would definitely wait to see how this is received because there's always the potential that we're being you know catfished yeah catfished with this game we'll have to wait and see but on march 3rd wolong fallen dynasty comes out that is the uh, team ninja uh, basically Souls type game that's coming out. We had the demo for recently and now we're getting the full game on March 3rd. So that is another big game. I think that's a Game Pass game as well. So again, another huge launch on March 3rd. Then Fatal Frame Massive Lunar Eclipse comes out on March 9th. And then also on March 9th, Skull and Bones releases. You know, that game might get delayed for the billionth fucking time, but looks like Skull and Bones is finally going to release terrible timing it's just gonna get fucking drowned in, in the mix of all this other stuff but good for you ubisoft you get that game out also on march 17th we've got two other games here peppa pig the world adventures so yeah fuck me right and also star wars jedi survivor which is no doubt a huge game star wars jedi fall uh fallen order was a really well received game that was a game that had legs it just continued to sell and do well and well and well for so long and i think this game is going to be a really a pent up hyped sequel to that game that just continued to impress people over time. Respawn Entertainment, great developer. And then on top of all of that, on March 24th, we get Resident Evil 4 Remake, which I know so many people are looking forward to. I'm looking forward to playing this game for the very first time through this remake, or maybe I'll play it on my Quest 2 with the VR edition. I don't really know yet, but damn, like this is just, again, March, so much shit. Whoa, long. Jedi's uh, Survivors, Resident Evil 4 Remake, like that's a lot of fucking really good games especially right after February, which has a lot of really good-looking games. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Then we move into April. April cools off a lot, thankfully. Uh, on the 4th of April, we got Hogwarts Legacy for the Xbox One. Remember, the, the version that comes out in March is for Series S and X and PC. But in April, the Xbox One version comes out. And then on April, well, no, April 4th, also on April 4th, Meet Your Maker comes out, which is that building raid game by the developers at Dead by Daylight. This game looks cool, but it's a building raid game, which is not my style. So I don't want building mechanics in any of the games I play. So I will just politely say no thank you to this, but no doubt it's a notable release. And then at the end of the month on April 28th, we get Dead Island 2, which is finally, finally releasing. This vaporware is coming to light. So April, obviously a much slimmer month, but... Uh, you know, if, if you're not on modern Xbox hardware, if you're on last gen, you get Hogwarts Legacy. And Dead Island 2, I think, is definitely a game that a lot of people will be curious to see how that plays out. So, might even be a good game. So, notable nonetheless. In May, the only confirmed game we have is Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which I'm so looking forward to this game. This game looks so good. Comes out May 26th. 
Um, no doubt going to be a huge release. I think people are really excited about this game. I think Rocksteady has proven themselves to be just an A-tier, uh, S-tier developer that people are going to go above and beyond to support. And yeah, this game just looks so good. I cannot wait to play it. So this is a, a must-play. And it's the only thing we have com confidently locked into May. But remember, according to the news, the rumor says that Redfall will also be out in May. So May might be Redfall at the beginning of the month, Suicide Squad at the end of the month. So that's, a, again, two massively excellent-looking games that no doubt are must-play titles for Xbox players coming out in the month of May. That's a really exciting-looking May. Then you move into June. We got two really notable games at the beginning, both at the beginning of the month. On June 2nd, you got Street Fighter VI, which I won't say anything about because it's just not my game, but obviously Street Fighter is a massively important franchise. People love this. We're getting some serious fighting game uh, support on Xbox after last generation kind of kind of duped us with the exception of um, of Killer Instinct. And then on June 6th, we get Diablo 4, which is no doubt going to be a massive, massive, massive release. Everyone's going to be playing this game. I'm probably going to give it a go once it comes to Game Pass after Microsoft buys Activision. But I know everyone else is going to be super hyped on this game and playing the fuck out of it. And uh, it's supposed to be like live service Diablo, so it's going to have legs and really keep people's attention for a long time, provided Blizzard doesn't catastrophically fuck it up, which is absolutely a possibility. But man, oh man, that is the first half of the year, and we have so many notable games. Just to recap some of these really notable hitters. Rumored, Redfall. Confirmed, Diablo 4. Street Fighter 6. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Dead Island 2, Hogwarts Legacy, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, Resident Evil 4 Remake, Wolong Fallen Dynasty, Destiny 2 Lightfall, Ishii Like a Dragon, Atomic Hearts, Wild Hearts, Wanted Dead, Dead Space Remake, Persona 3 and 4. Lots and lots of fucking games in the first half of the year. Now, this uh, GameSpot article I'm using with this comprehensive list of all the games we know coming out this year, or that are penned, supposedly coming out this year, Basically just leaves July through December completely blank because we really don't have release dates beyond the first half of the year. The rest is this to-be-announced category of all these games we know are supposed to be coming, we just don't really have dates on them yet. And I, like I said, I've deleted a bunch of them because I just really want to focus on the more notable releases, but here's a rundown of a bunch of games that are on this list that are coming out this year, we just don't really have dates for them yet, and some of them are some really notable titles. So the first one is Starfield, which, as we know, is supposed to be somewhere in that mix of... February, March, somewhere around the first half of the year. So, yeah, among all the minutia and the and, and the crazy over-the-top, not minutia, but all, all the crazy over-the-top bullshit going on with Destiny and Wild Hearts and Hogwarts Legacy and Star Wars and Resident Evil and all these games, we're also supposed to be getting Starfield in the mix of all of that. So keep in mind, the biggest game of the year, or what appears to be the biggest game of the year, is coming out in the midst of all of that shit. We already talked about Redfall, rumored to be coming in May. Next up, the next two games I put up here are two more Xbox first-party exclusives, or actually I should say Xbox first-party games, although the first one's not exclusive, that are coming out this year. We just don't have dates on them yet. And that first one is Minecraft Legends, which I'm very much excited to see more of this game and to finally play it. Um, I love these Minecraft spinoffs. I, I like Minecraft a lot. I'm a huge fan of Minecraft. It's just the core Minecraft game. It's just not my type of game. I just really like the art style and kind of... It's it's one of those like really popular things where I'm like, huh, I can feel good about this. I feel like 
I feel like Minecraft is a net positive for humanity. You know, it's wholesome, it's creative, kids love it, it's educational, it's fun, it's it's cool, it's likable. It's not like, you know, it's it's not one of those like cringe things where I'm like, I think the world would be better off if we didn't have Coco Melon and Roblox. It's like, no, Minecraft is is it's wholesome, it's good. And so I don't know. I love Minecraft Dungeons. I'm really excited to see what Mo Yang has cooking up with Minecraft Legends. That's uh, supposed to be what something what what they say it's more like um I actually forgot what kind of game it's supposed to be. Because uh, I really haven't looked at this since they announced it, but I remember thinking it looked really good and really wanted to give it a go. So Minecraft Legends, definitely something to keep your eyes on. And the other one, I assume this will be the big November release for Xbox, is Forza Motorsport, the next main Forza Motorsport game uh, from Turn 10 Studios, the main original Forza team. This is supposed to be the games-as-a-service kind of platform Forza game. So this will be a huge one for Xbox and PC. This uh, probably November. My, my, my money is on November for this game, but no doubt that is a big one that we haven't had a release date on yet. I also have Replaced on this list. Replaced is that amazing-looking cyberpunk 2.5D, beautiful, artistic-looking, dystopian, platform-story-driven game side-scroller that just looks so beautiful. This is a Game Pass title, by the way, so definitely a beautiful get for Game Pass. We don't know when it's coming out, but this game looks so good. I really, really want to play the hell out of this game, so replaced very much high on my list. We got Assassin's Creed Mirage, which is supposed to come out this year, so that's, I feel like, is going to be some kind of E3 time where we're going to get some word on that, so another Assassin's Creed, that will be a fall game for sure. Atlas Fallen is supposed to come out this year, that, that is that um, Focus inter Entertainment game that just looks so good that we saw at, um, at Gamescom that I'm really looking forward to seeing more of. Warhammer 40k Darktide, that's supposed to come to Xbox early this year, so that should be in the next month or two. It's already on PC, but yeah, they said it's, it'll come early 2023 to Xbox, so we're still waiting on that as well. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, this is my most anticipated Ubisoft game. I think this game looks pretty awesome, actually, so I'm really looking forward to giving this game a go. And then Alan Wake 2 is penned for this year. I think that game gets delayed to 2024, but as of now, it's supposed to come out this year. Uh, Lies of P, I, think, I thought that game was supposed to come out in the earlier months of this year, but there's no release date on it. Liza P is that really cool looking um, Souls-like Pinocchio game. It looks like fucking like uh, Bloodborne meets Pinocchio, and I, I think it looks so good. This is also a Game Pass game. I have every intention of giving this a go. This is this is the game that I want desperately to be the game to get me into Souls-like games. I cannot wait to give this game a try and hopefully finally begin to appreciate this genre to some extent. Uh, but yeah, that's a game I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, I know one a lot of Xbox fans are looking forward to. That is a second-party exclusive for Xbox. Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl. Uh, long, uh, long delayed, long in development, tortured development uh, due to uh, uh, the you know, devastating war in Ukraine, the long-awaited sequel to Stalker. I think people are really, really looking forward to this game. I'm definitely looking forward to giving it a go. I know Kronky's shit in his pants for this game. Still plan to come out later this year, so hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get this game across the finish line and, and get these guys the, uh, the, the respect and support they deserve for uh, this, this game that they're making in the middle of a fucking war. So uh, this game looks great, and definitely, definitely I think will be a, a huge plus to xbox for sure game pass game of course also aliens dark descent is coming out this year although we don't have much information on that 
Ark Raiders is coming out this year, which I don't care about, but we keep seeing stuff on that. Speaking of Ark, Ark Survival 2 or whatever is supposed to come out this year. Vin Diesel scares me. Uh, Banishers Ghost of New Eden is supposed to come out this year. That is that new uh, Don't Nod game that looks really good that we saw at Gamescom, I believe. Very Or no, that was at the Game Awards, actually. That, yeah, that's the Don't Nod Focus Entertainment one. That one looks so fucking good. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Coffee Talk is, is getting a sequel, Episode 2. Um, so that that's exciting. Crash Team Rumble, that multiplayer Crash Bandicoot game, which as a Crash Bash fan, I'm very much interested in another multiplayer Crash game. Curse of the Sea Rats is coming out this year. I don't know what that is. Uh, Destra, The Memories Between, I don't remember what that is. Uh, EA Sports PGA 23. Uden Chronicles is coming to Xbox for the first time this year. Endless Dungeon, Everspace 2, Exo Primal, Flashback 2, Flintlock, The Siege of Dawn, Flock, Ghost Runners getting a sequel this year. I know that's a hugely popular game, so that will be a, a notable sequel for sure. Gory, Cuddly Carnage, I don't know what that is. Hollow Knight is getting its sequel. Silk Song comes out this year. I assume that will be a late summer, early fall game probably. Hyenas is coming out this year. That is that game uh, Sega published from, God, what is that Sega team? The, the RTS studio uh, from Creative Assembly. They that make fucking Halo Wars. They got that like hero shooter whatever game with, I don't know, it looks ridiculous, but it actually kind of looks interesting. I'm kind of curious to try it. Immortals of, of Avium, Kerbal Space Program 2, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the game, Layers of Fears, not Layer of Fear, but Layers of Fear, Fears, the sequel, Level Zero, Lightyear Frontier, I don't know what that is, but that game looks really good, um, oh wait, nope, never mind, it is a space sci-fi sim farming game, never mind, Like a Dragon, uh, Gaiden, The Man Who Erased His Name, we already talked about that one, Marvel's Midnight Suns is coming to Xbox One, it's already on Series X and S, Mask of the Rose, Oxenfree 2, Party Animals, Read Only Memories, Nero Driver, Robocop, Rogue City, Slime Rancher 2, SpongeBob SquarePants, The Cosmic Shake, Star Trek Resurgence, Sweet It In 1 and 2 HD Remaster, first time on Xbox, Super Bomberman R2, The Last Case of Benedict Fox, Lords of the Fallen, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Wolf Among Us 2, Tron Identity, that one's only PC, but I put it on there for me, Valheim, and Warhammer 40K Space Marine 2. So between all those games I just named, knowing that I left a bunch of shit out, and all the stuff we don't know about, plus the crazy, crazy, crazy January, February, March we have coming up, I'd say 2023 is a massive fucking year for gaming. It's, it just seems like it's going to be the biggest year for gaming in a long-ass time. I think this is probably the result of COVID gunked up a lot of game development cycles, and now all these games that were going to come out in 2023 are coming out, and all these games that were going to come out in 2021 or 2022 that got delayed because of COVID are now coming out in 2023, and now we've got a massive just splooge of a fucking release cycle this year where we just have so many games, and I am so looking forward to it. I'm so overwhelmed and stressed out by it. This is why I need to get started on Persona 5 because if I don't start it now, I'm never going to play it because this year has so many other games vying for my attention. But as stressful and overwhelming as it is, it is an exciting year for gaming. It is an exciting year for Xbox. Tons of first-party content, tons of exclusives. Redfall, Starfield, Minecraft, which is multi-platform, but it's Xbox-owned. Uh, Forza, really good lineup, I think. So, man, oh, man, I'm ready for 2023. I'm ready for some good gaming. You guys, please get hyped with me. And next up, guys, with that all, you know, with you all jittery and excited about the year, 
Let's round out with the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions, of which we have about four or five. VGC reports Ubisoft's former Far Cry boss, Dan Hay, has taken charge of Blizzard's new survival team. It's been announced. He left Ubisoft last year, and is uh, and now Hay has been announced to be joining Blizzard to helm a new IP. Uh, Hay is leading the team, which is infusing the genre with Blizzard magic while crafting a new first IP for since Overwatch. The team has doubled in size this year, and they're looking to grow even more in the next year or in this new year uh, to, to start to develop this game. Uh, next up, VGC says that Night Dive has confirmed its System Shock remake targeting a March 2023 release window. So there you go. Another 2023 release uh, on the horizon. Hitman 3 is being rebranded and incorporated uh, content from Hitman 1 and 2. Developer IO Interactive have announced. So instead of Hitman 3 being called Hitman 3, it will be renamed through an update Hitman World of Assassinations. It will basically include Hitman's 1, 2, and 3 all in one package. So a nice like platform to play Hitman, which is pretty cool. And lastly, VGC announces that Sonic the Hedgehog co-creator Yuji Naka and former Square Enix employee uh, Tetsuke Sasaki have been formally indicted following the arrest for alleged inside trading. According to NHK, the Tokyo District Public Prosecutor's Office has determined that Naka had confidential information that Square Enix had planned to develop a Final Fantasy spinoff, Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier, with mobile developer A-Team Entertainment. It is currently unclear whether Naka or Sasaki will stand trial. God, that's so sad. All right, guys, that is it for all of our news this week. We have got only one last segment to go through for the week, and it is the first round of the year. For listener comments, you know how it goes. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and leave a comment. You can say anything you want. You can be nice. You can say, Jesse, happy 2023. Let's make it a great year podcast. I hope you guys grow and get bigger and better than ever before. And you become strong and get a Patreon and a Dollar Shave Club advertisement partnership deal. Um, or you can be a total dick and just say, Jesse, you suck. And I want you to know that all uh, 979 subscribers that the podcast has on, on YouTube is actually just your mom making 979 different accounts. That would make me sad because we're only about 20 subscribers away from 1,000. So way to take the steam out of my success. But no one wrote in like that this week. Instead, we just got regular comments. Dead Captain James leads us off with our first comment of the year because he is the first guy to leave a comment on the podcast. And now he's the first guy to leave a comment in 2023. And it just goes, the time is just a loop. History repeats itself. That's the cycle of life, okay? DCJ reads, Happy New Year. Great show as always. Hunter was a solid guest and definitely very comfortable in the podcast format. Hunter definitely nailed down my taste in games. I'm a fantasy nerd through and through. So yeah, a lot of you guys wrote in about Hunter's appearance last week. Listen, we know he's a good podcaster, okay? He's been doing podcasts longer than me. He's on three different shows. He has uh, a collection of vinyl records that is very extensive and very thorough and very uh, inclusive in terms of its genre encapsulation. Listen, he's got a Blu-ray shelf that would knock your fucking socks off. What do you want me to say? He's he's 30 years old and his hairline looks perfect for his age. What do you want me to say, okay? Hunter's better than me at everything. Flipping the fucking table right now. You can't see it's an audio-only podcast, but I'm flipping my desk. I'm so pissed off. You know what? If you like Hunter so much, why don't we just make it Hunter on? The whole podcast will be about Hunter. Or better yet, we'll just give him the podcast. He can talk about Xbox, and I'll just go play Persona 5 since it's probably going to take me at least a year to finish the game anyway. Fine. This is what you want? Is this what you want, Dead Captain James? Is this what you guys all want? You make me sick. Thank you for writing in. Happy New Year. 
other topics, uh, this is other comments that people wrote in regarding their favorite games of 2022. This is, this is what happened last year as well. We do the podcast, and then we get a couple comments after the fact. People are like, ooh, ooh, here's my list. And you know what? I'm happy to read them because I just uh, I appreciate the support. I appreciate the comments, and I want to represent more people's taste in gaming. So let's go. Let's get into it, guys. Keith L. writes in for the second time and says, thanks for the great podcast. It was great to hear you and Hunter. Oh, again with the Hunter thing? Okay, you want Hunter to be your podcast host? Okay, I'll call him up right now on the fucking podcast, okay? Hello. Hey man, real quick, uh, I'm actually recording Xbox on. You're on the show right now. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of people are writing in talking about how you were so great last week, and you're such a good match for the podcast and all this shit. And uh, you know, yeah, yeah, very sweet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to see. Uh, you know, it seems like they like you so much better than me. They're so happy with your performance. Uh, I think they'd just be happier if I gave the podcast to you. Uh, do you do you want to take over the Xbox on podcast? So just let them know this would be like a uh, I, look. This is a uh, a Eisner into Iger situation that we've got going on here. <laughs> I think we would both be great. Um, but oh god, I think we lost him. You're better for the people of Xbox, my friend. No, well, we lost you a little bit, but I think we got the part where you said nice things about me. Yeah, yeah, tons of nice things. Now tell me all these nice things people are telling about me. Yeah, Dead Captain James is in here. He's talking about how uh, you're very comfortable in the podcast format. You're a solid guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Keith L says that it was great to hear your voice, like like your perspective. We got fucking everyone here. My own brother is writing in. He says I'm loving going back and forth between you and Hunter with the with with our conversation. He agrees with you on Battlefront Two. Thinks you totally nailed it. Dude, they, they like you better than me, man. You know, I uh, I'm gonna disagree with their opinion because you're the you're the man when it comes to Xbox. Um, however, it was a great pleasure, and I'd be happy to hop on whenever you want me to talk again. All right, man. Well, you, the keys to the kingdom are yours whenever you decide you want them. So just uh, let me know. All right, sounds good. All right, you happy, Keith? You happy, Dead Captain James? You happy, Cronky? You got what you wanted? I, I guess. Well, actually, you didn't get what you wanted. He said no. He said no, so fuck you guys. Anyway, Keith continues on and says, Here are my top five games of 2022 for you. I know I am late. (laughs) Number one, Vampire Survivors. Number two, Destiny 2. I just love it. I have dropped off, but I played here and there. GT equals... Oh, Gamertag. Rock E... Oh, Rocket. How am I? I'm an idiot. What is the five supposed to be? Rocket? Oh, you even put the phonetic spelling right next to it. And I'm just too stupid to look. R0CK35YNT5T. God damn it. You're hurting my brain. Okay, Destiny 2. Uh, Tinykin at number three. Hell yeah. Shout out to Tinykin. Plague Tale Requiem at number four. And Deathloop at number five. That's a pretty good list. Hitting a lot of the, the spectrum. A lot of variety there. Uh, also, Destiny 2. Absolutely love it. Yes, sir. I'll be sure to add you on ga- on uh, your gamer tag on Xbox. But uh, you also said honorable mention Fortnite no build mode. Freaking great solo for solo players. I've heard, man. I, I still haven't tried that out, but I, I do believe it's probably really good because building is the one thing I hate about Fortnite. Question for you this week, though. This is a good question, so I want to read this. De- let's derail and read this for a second. You said, question for you this week. You are, hypothetical, you are a lore master and are given an unlimited budget and told to create a series of books on the lore within a gaming universe, no holds barred. Which 
game slash series do you choose and why? So this is a great question. And when you wrote this, I, I read it. And I was like, shit, I want to think long and hard about this because I want to give you a thoughtful answer. And then I uh, was at work when it happened and then <laughs> got distracted and busy and never came back to it and haven't thought about it since. So to be quite, I only said to be really honest with you, I meant to give this question a lot more thought because it's a really thoughtful question. I appreciate the questions. Really good question. I just, uh, Trying to think. Let's let's think on the fly. Well, here's the thing. Of course, first my brain goes to Xbox because that's where I play the most. Halo already has a robust novel series. Um, a lot of, a lot of games do these days. And here's the thing, man. Is I don't I don't generally like when video game series are turned into book series because I feel like so often they kind of leave a bunch of really good lore like stranded in this medium where the majority of your fan base is never going to engage with an experience. And on top of that, I feel like a lot of times these books end up just being a little bit dry. It's that kind of like low fantasy, like kind of cool on the whole, but the moment to moment reading can be a little, a little boring sometimes. Like I've read a handful of the halo books and I don't regret a single one. They've all been good. But like they're not particularly like page turners or exciting to read. I, I've I've had a hard time sometimes with uh, just main, like retaining the interest. Maybe that's just because that's not like my reading style. I guess I don't know. But like I, I like to read. Reading reading something I love. I mean I studied literature in college, so I hope I somewhat enjoy reading. It's just for whatever reason I just find the the novelization of video game franchises to be not really the best medium for for storytelling in these universes, which makes which makes almost no sense because books, the thing that's so great about books is you can tell any kind of story and it makes sense because you don't have to worry about it looking weird like in a show or movie or being at a weird budget. You don't have to worry about it not meeting the gameplay, like not being in the format that lends itself well to gameplay if we're talking about video games. So books allow you a lot more creative freedom to tell basically any kind of story because you're not pigeonholed by movie budgets or gameplay mechanics or any of these kinds of things or art styles. You know, you could just kind of you know, with some some well-written, uh, fleshed-out storytelling, you can kind of say whatever you want to say. So I do love that, but I don't know. I think for me, if you're going to go into, like, the written kind of readable medium for video games, I actually prefer graphic novels. I think, I think comics, graphic novels, things like that, lend themselves way better to these franchises, generally speaking. Like, Sonic doesn't have a novelization, thank God, but it has a long-running comic series, and I read the Sonic comic series that is part of the same lore as the video game universe, um, and I enjoy the hell out of it. It's great. It's it's a nice little like taste of Sonic storytelling here and there uh, every month, you know, with a little 22-page comic book instead of committing three times a year to a 300-page novel that's going to describe the fur on Sonic's, you know, the, the 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 feeling of Sonic's quills as he ran through the wind or some shit like that. You know, it's just going to be like a fun little romp. Oftentimes, video games are very, I don't know, video, video games are often pretty, like, basic in the form of storytelling, and I feel like trying to take them too seriously and do serious novelization of games sometimes is a little reductive. Or it really fleshes out a universe that very few people actually get to experience and enjoy. And so I'm just not always the biggest fan of that, if I'm being completely honest. That being said, if I could take a franchise that doesn't already have that kind of support and maybe make a novelization out of it, I don't know. What's a, what's an example of one? Let me think of some like recent games in history that I've loved. I think a Yakuza manga series could be really fucking cool. I Actually, I think that series would be great as a manga. Um, so that's, that's, a, I think that's a good answer. You know what I would really love? 
I would fucking love, because this is a video game universe I adore, but I don't always love the games as much as I love the franchise and the character and the universe. I think a Metroid, I think a Metroid animated series or a Metroid graphic novel, either one. I don't care if it's a graphic novel or an animated series, but either one would be so fucking cool for Metroid because I think Metroid's such a cool sci-fi universe. I would, I would enjoy the hell out of that for sure. Actually, you know what's a good one? Um, you, you told me to pick based on actually, yeah, you said based on gaming universe, I'm gonna pick Tron, which is a cop out because Tron is a movie series, but in the movie it's based on video games and there are Tron video games. So I think Tron would make a fucking kick-ass, uh, graphic novel series. I'd, I'd eat that up, dude, because Disney refuses to make Tron movies and to continue to invest in that IP. So Man, if we could at least get like a, a Tron comic book series. Oh my God, I would love that so much. I'd love that so much, so much, so much, so much. Anyway, now let me look at some other recent games. I think Call of Duty could actually, I think Call of Duty Black Ops could actually make a really cool comic series or like a, like a Saturday morning, like G.I. Joe style cartoon. That That's actually what I would love. I, I know I'm kind of like, breaking your question and kind of changing what it can be. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm getting out of the, the novelization uh, kind of uh, framing that you put this in, because I, I think if you took the story of black ops and made it like a more like PG series, actually that's not, that's not even true. Keep it mature rated, keep it R rated because honestly the generation that grew up watching GI Joe and loving GI Joe, they're all more than grown ass adults at this point. It would be so cool if like, Netflix, ha yeah, let's, this is like a hypothetical that I feel like is somewhat possible and realistic while also being a little bit of a blue sky idea. If Netflix worked with Activision to make a Call of Duty Black Ops animated TV show that is kind of like an homage to G.I. Joe, but it's mature rated and it tells the Black Ops stories, I think that would be such a fucking cool show. I would watch every second of that. Do not, by any circumstance, do not make that a live action show. I will fucking cringe so hard. But an animated TV show, like an like a like an R rated GI Joe TV show for dudes in their twenties and thirties, I I would fucking especially because like Black Ops Cold War, Black Black Ops One, Two, and Cold War in particular tell such awesome fucking like like just awesome cool like operative war stories that just I don't know they're just so fun. I would love the hell out of that. Let's see. What's another one? This is this is actually a really fun thought exercise. Destiny would no doubt make an amazing, like... Destiny would be a cool anime, <laughs> actually. Destiny would also be a cool comic book series. It would maybe help me understand that universe for once. Actually, I kind of wish Destiny had that. I respect that Destiny has very strictly remained just a video game series, but we know that Bungie wants to get into cross-media, so it's, it's, it's just a matter of time before Destiny does something else. But man, a Destiny anime or comic series would be really really cool let's do one more oh dude titanfall would be such a cool another anime titanfall would be cool as an anime yeah that'd be so good i don't know man i just as you can see with the reoccurring theme is i love sci-fi i love sci-fi so much and i i always feel like such a deep pain with sci-fi in general because i feel like the most popular forms of sci-fi are always the lamest fucking things like i know people love star wars i respect it there are things about star wars i do like there are star wars movies i do like um, you know, Star Trek is fine. It's cool. It's not my thing, but it's whatever. But like, I just feel like there's so much sci-fi in this world that's popular that I just don't give a shit about. And then there's so much sci-fi in this world I love that just no one cares about. It just gets no love. Bring us Tron. Do Destiny. Do Titanfall. 
do fucking and this isn't sci-fi but do do the black ops uh adult gi joe animated show for netflix or something like that give us the fucking uh graphic novel series of or the uh the the destiny 2 anime all that shit i don't know just give us give us all of it i want all of that stuff you got my you got my mind all worked up and excited about this and none of it's actually going to come to fruition so now i'm profoundly sad thanks to you keith l but thank you for writing in uh next up headhunting halo wrote in and said top five starting or top five games starting from number five uh evil west number four plague tale requiem number three sonic frontiers two elden ring and one god of war ragnarok that's a really good list you got PlayStation, you got Xbox, you got Sonic, you got Evil West, some really good games in there. Pretty solid line of games I've played this year, and I think there were heavy hitters for me this year. So have a happy new year. Happy new year to you too, Mr. Headhunting Halo. Uh, next up, Mr. Maug writes in and says, Apologies for forgetting my list, Jesse, but I was out of the country. My list is in no particular order. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mr. Maug, you were out of the country. Where were you? You weren't in Canada, were you, boy? Tell me where you were. Mr. Maug, tell me where you were. No pressure. Keep your privacy, but where were you? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? What'd you do? Did you eat pasta in Italy? Is that what you're doing? You eat some pasta like a fucking, like a fucking Guido man? Anyway, your list is in no particular order. Number one, Nobody Saves the World. Number two, Modern Warfare 2. Number three, Spelunky 2. Number four, Super Meat Boy. Number five, Halo Infinite. Spelunky and Meat Boy. That's that's <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's I mean that's a solid list. Those are a lot of my favorite games too on there. You're your one, two, and five spots, no doubt. He said I sadly didn't play many games this year, so I had to scratch or I had to scramble to get my list. Hey man, no shame in that, dude. You played what you played, you enjoyed what you enjoyed. Gaming is not about covering a wide spectrum of shit. It's just about having a good time and doing something you love. So thank you for writing in. Good list. Shout out to Super Meat Boy. And our final comment of the week comes from Mr. Cronky over here, who has a uh, two-parter and a really good question, I think, uh, a little fun synopsis or thought um, at the end. And says, I'm loving the back and forth with you and Hunter. We already read that. Also, I could not agree more with Hunter on Battlefront 2. Okay, you're, you're, you're cucking him. You're jerking off Hunter. We get it, man. You like him. We get it. When it got, <laughs> when it got the big Clone Wars update and, uh, and more offline modes, that game really became something great. Oh, well. Too bad. It's over. Get over it. Uh, but here's your good question. You said, with no new Call of Duty coming out in 2023, as we know, the rumor or the confirmation is that Modern Warfare 2 is getting content, but no sequel this year. Uh, with no new Call of Duty coming out this year, will Modern Warfare 2 be the top-selling game of the year? Or do you think Star Starfield or Hogwarts Legacy will be it personally? Uh, I think that Starfield coming to Game Pass and not coming to PS5, I doubt it will be the top-selling game. Yeah, Kroenke, you're right about that. There's no chance in hell Starfield is the best-selling game of the year, I don't think, for a second. It will sell very, very well on PC. It will sell decently well on Xbox. Most people on Xbox will play it through Game Pass, and it is not going to be available on PlayStation or Nintendo, which is a huge detriment to its sales potential. So Starfield is definitely going to be an important game this year in terms of the discussion in the industry, um, coverage by the media, probably Game of the Year discussion. It will be a big game that a lot of people enjoy, and many, many, many people will play. But if we're talking purely about best-selling Game of the Year, I don't think Starfield stands a chance. And I don't think it will be Modern Warfare 2. I think Modern Warfare 2 will probably be in the top five best-selling games of the year. I mean, it could be number one. I wouldn't be totally shocked if it ends up being number one, but I don't think it will be number one. And I definitely don't think Hogwarts Legacy will be number one either. I think the Hogwarts Legacy will be in the top 10 list, but I do not think it will be number one at all. Man, if I had to guess right now, I my, my guess is that the number one best-selling... Oh, man, that throws a wrench in things, actually. I was going to say probably FIFA because FIFA is like one of the best-selling games of the year anyway every year because globally people are just so fucking nuts about soccer. Plus, 
the World Cup just just concluded a little bit ago, which means this is a year where people are going to be very high on soccer. So I think FIFA might sell even better than it normally does because of World Cup. But I'm also remembering that this is going to be the first year where EA drops the FIFA brand and they're going to change it to that, whatever that is, EA Soccer Sport, whatever, 2023, uh, because they're they're no longer going to have that FIFA license. So without having that brand recognition, that could really affect the sales. We talked about that when it was in the news. I personally don't think it will affect the sales too much. I think if anything, it might, it might change things a little bit for a year or two before the market kind of figures out, oh, this is Forza now, or Forza, this is FIFA now. So maybe this year will have some effect on it, but... I think in the long run, it's not going to be much of an issue for the FIFA franchise, but man, that's a that's a good one, man. If it were a regular run for FIFA, I'd say maybe that, but we don't know. Even that, even that, what's it called? EAFC Club Soccer 2023, something like that is going to be the name. So it could be FIFA, could be NBA 2K. Those games are also top seller. Uh, fucking who knows? Could be GTA 5 for the billionth time. I don't know. But uh, yeah, my my guess is it'll be a sports title. But man, what else could it be? I think Starfield. I think Hogwarts Legacy will be high, but it won't be number one. And Call of Duty. It could be Modern Warfare too. I don't know. I I, I kind of doubt it, but it could. But yeah, that's a really interesting thought. What would be the best selling game without Call of Duty coming out this year? But I don't know, man. Let's uh let's end on that quandary, I, I suppose. And uh, that's gonna do it for the comment uh, for the podcast this week, you guys. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for supporting. As always, guys, I really appreciate you. Happy 2023. I hope you guys have a wonderful year. I hope you have a blessed year. I hope you have a prosperous year. Um, spend great time with those you love, friends, family. Um, get some serious, great gaming time in. Get some elite gamer time in. Uh, enjoy some of these awesome games we have coming up shortly since we have so much to look forward to. Um, but, you know, just have a have a healthy year. You know, use your time wisely. You only get so much of it before you're dead. So <laughs> spend it with those you love and try to pursue the things that make you happy. And uh, without my unsolic- unwarranted advice... Uh, or with my unwarranted advice now concluded. I guess that's it, guys. Happy 2023. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Until then, power your dreams. Oh, and try that Salsa Verde chicken burrito at Taco Bell. You know you want to. 